When the game clock started in Super Bowl 49, Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Chris Matthews had never caught a pass in the NFL. But after about 59 minutes of the game had gone by, nearly three hours of real time, Matthews had racked up 109 yards and a touchdown against Tom Brady and the Pats. And people were talking about him winning the Most Valuable Player Award, including some of his own teammates. Here's Matthews remembering a conversation he had with his fellow Seahawk, Doug Baldwin, on the sideline. He was the first one to walk up to me and was like, hey man, you, you're going to win the MVP. You need to get ready for your speech and take the car and, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm like, bro, bro we're not even, you know, like we're, the game's not over with. We still got to, you know, we still got to play. We still got to win. You know, I'm still focused on the game. But as the game wound down into its final seconds, Matthew started to let himself look ahead just a little, thinking about the award and that Super Bowl ring. I was like, man, I already got, I already know which finger this ring is going to go on. You know, I was ready for it. But, you know, things happen. Yeah, things happen. In this case, what happened was that the Seahawks lost in the final seconds. Seconds that seemed to drag on forever. You can feel the tension in the air as everybody was pretty much frozen on our sidelines. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a slow sequence. Time just seems to move differently in football. There's 60 minutes on the game clock, but the games take three hours to play, even longer in the Super Bowl. After the two-minute warning, they sometimes keep playing for like 10 minutes or more. For the players, time can seem to slow down at certain moments, during certain plays. Then again, the whole season seems to go by quickly. And most careers are over in only a few years. And it's not just football. For all of us, time flies, it crawls, it stands still. And when we look back, we think, where did it all go? I'm Gotham Chopra. From Religion of Sports and ESPN+, this is Men in the Arena a 10-part companion podcast to the docuseries of the same name. Here, we're looking at Tom Brady through the eyes of players and coaches, fans and haters, people whose dreams he's either ruined or made come true, including me. Each episode looks at Tom's impact inside and outside the arena, using sports to explore bigger questions about the world and ourselves. Episode 6, Time. I'm going to look at what football time can show us about time itself, why we perceive it so differently depending on what we're doing, and how we may be able to change that. Coming up after the break, that may feel relatively quick or super long. Anyway, stay with us. In the NFL, it seems players never know when their time will come, or how much time they have left. That's how 2014 was for Chris Matthews, who was just hoping to make it onto the field. At the start of the season, Matthews wasn't even sure if he'd be able to make the roster. He got his start as a wide receiver in the Canadian Football League, and then looked like he was poised to break through with the Seahawks. But he got cut from the team and ended up going back to LA to the family business. 
I was literally working for my pops at a security company. He owns his own security company in Compton, California. And um, I was just sitting around and watched people drive in and out of the buildings. And guess what? That year, Matthews wasn't the only one whose season had gotten off to a bumpy start. There was a little while where a lot of people thought 37-year-old Tom Brady's time was up. I mean, the Pats had drafted another quarterback that year, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy G. Maybe as Tom's replacement. And then four weeks into the season on national TV, things went wrong for Tom, like badly wrong. Here's Mike Reese, who covers the NFL for ESPN. It's a Monday night game at Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium. It's a nationally televised game. So the whole country's watching. Patriots lose 41-14. And Tom doesn't finish the game. They put Jimmy in at the end of the game. And some of the football analysts on TV were very strong, saying, this looks like it could be the end for Tom. Tom and the Patriots got their asses handed to them. And sure, a backup QB coming in to finish a game that's gotten out of hand isn't exactly unheard of, but it was the way it happened. Tom threw a pick that was returned for a touchdown. Then Jimmy G came in and led a 70-yard scoring drive. But as someone who's covered Tom for his whole career, Reese wasn't exactly convinced that Tom was done. I mean, I always say, as a reporter covering Tom Brady, you make a, a list of things that you follow. And number one on my list is beware of betting against Tom Brady. If you're going to do so, do so at your own risk. So I would never have said this looks like the end for Tom. But what I would say is knowing the way Bill Belichick and the Patriots operate, when you draft a quarterback as high as you did with Jimmy Garoppolo, he was on notice. Now, I'd never say it looked like the end for Tom either. The team flew back to New England that night, and Tom has since told me that he never went home. He went straight to the facility and started watching game tape. As Bill Belichick famously said again and again in response to reporters' questions, we're on to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. It's pretty amazing. And that week five atmosphere at Gillette Stadium for when the Bengals actually came here, was one of the most special that I've ever been a part of or seen in my time covering the team because the fans rallied around Tom. They were chanting his name. It was so electric. And it was like to go from the low of Kansas City to that high and you're like, no, this story isn't over yet. He still got it. The Pats destroyed the Bengals by a score of 43-17. to I mean, it was cathartic for me, and a reality check for anyone saying Tom's time was up. Like, Tom's not done, and neither are the Patriots. Thanks to Tom and other guys that year, like slot receiver Julian Edelman and cornerback Brandon Browner, the Pats went 9-2 over the rest of the season. On the West Coast, meanwhile, Seattle receiver Chris Matthews' turning point came one night on the job with a phone call from the Seahawks inviting him back to the team. Like as in, get on the next flight and come back right now. The only thing was, 
Matthews was still on the clock. Hey, I can't leave right now. I, you know, I still got a shift to do. So let me let me call my boss and uh, and make sure uh, make sure he's you know make sure we're good. After making sure he was indeed good, Matthews flew up to Seattle and spent the rest of the season on the team. He played in three regular season games, and while he didn't make a catch. He proved himself enough as a playmaker with good hands recovering an onside kick in the NFC Championship game. That sent Matthews on a collision course with Tom Brady and the Patriots at Super Bowl 49 in the Arizona desert. The player whose time wasn't over yet versus the player whose time had just come. But at first, the player who was dominating the game wasn't the one who was playing in his sixth Super Bowl. No. It was the guy who up until that night had never caught a pass in the NFL. Chris Matthews was having the game of his life on the biggest stage there is. If I wasn't a Patriots fan, I would have been like, good for you, man. The separation he was getting from defenders and the speed, how was he doing this? I mean, football is such a violent game. At any moment, you have 22 huge guys running at each other in every direction, trying to hit each other. But in the middle of it all, Chris Matthews seemed to be finding some kind of serenity or grace. On the field for him, Matthews says, time seemed to move differently. His competition all seemed slow. On the field and when the game started, I honestly, I just felt like I was faster at that point in time. You know that superhero Quicksilver in X-Men? He's the one with the ability to run really fast. In the movies, they depict his super speed by showing him in normal speed and everything else around him in slow motion. That's kind of how Matthews felt on the field. You just have to be in that situation to really understand where an athlete comes from when he's talking about the game slows down for him. You know, I can move and I can do this and I can do that and I can start creating more than what's just asked of me in this, uh, you know, in the playbook. You know, you get that that feeling like, oh, yeah, I got this. Chris was at the right place at the right time consistently. That's Mike Gervais. He was the Seahawks team psychologist that season. It was his job to help the athletes prepare mentally for the games. And he had, it seemed like this uncanny knack to be able to kind of sniff out where the play was unfolding and what he needed to be able to do to make an impact. And, <laughs> you know, it's one of those games that you watch people and you're like, look at that. That is beautiful. Gervais says that most likely Matthews was experiencing what's called a flow state. Flow state is the most optimal state a human can be in. It's one of the most elusive as well. It's when you're completely immersed in the task at hand. You are fully absorbed, responding eloquently to the unfolding moment. And there's a deep and rich feeling of control. And when uh, we're watching him in that game, that's certainly what we saw. And Gervais says that flow states almost always alter how we perceive time, like what Matthews described. And there tends to be a distortion of time where we lose awareness of how time is passing. Sometimes it's reported that 
time slows down. And sometimes it's reported that, you know, time speeds up. Now, flow state isn't a term that Gervais invented. It's a mental state that psychologists have studied for decades. The term was coined by the late psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. He wrote the book on flow. Literally, flow, the psychology of optimal experience, came out in 1990 and was a big hit. Jimmy Johnson, the former Cowboys coach, said the book helped his team win the 1993 Super Bowl. He even held up a copy in a post-game interview. But it's not just NFL athletes who get into flow states. Artists and musicians also report losing themselves in their work. You've probably been in a state of flow yourself, if you've ever felt especially in the zone. And for me, I'm obsessed with this stuff. You know, flow state, the zone, peak performance. This is where sports becomes spiritual. Play becomes an exercise in mindfulness, or as we Indians like to call it, meditation. So just how is this achieved? There are basically three ingredients to getting into flow, Gervais says. First, you have to pay attention to what you're doing. So deep focus is one of the components to enter into flow state. Next, you have to feel up to the task, like this sense of confidence. A second component that is materially important is the ability to have the right balance between this challenge is real and I love it, and I have the skills, I think, to be able to back it up, to be able to meet this challenge. And lastly, you need to be in the right situation. And then the last component is to find ourselves in environments where we have immediate feedback to how we are able to adjust to the unfolding, unpredictable, un unmet moment, if you will. And sport and music and arts and deep conversations tend to be mechanisms that people can have that immediate feedback. So you don't exactly know what's going to happen next, but you're pretty sure you have the skills and you've got your full attention turned to the task. Flow state is much more like jazz than classic music. With classical music, everything is predetermined. You can't miss a note. You're playing from a sheet. But jazz musicians, they have to improvise. They don't know exactly where they're going. They have to stay in the moment. There's a deep command of the skill required to adjust on time to the missed note or the unplanned experience. Gervais thinks that flow represents the peak of human potential, which he saw in Chris Matthews at the Super Bowl. He's able to go get the high balls and he's able to bring it down and snatch it down and put his foot in the ground and really motor. And so there's a... Um, an ability to be dominant on the field of play. Except even with Chris at the top of his game, playing out of his mind, it wasn't enough in the seahawks Pat Super Bowl. I mean, it's a team sport after all. With less than a minute left in the game, the Seahawks were poised to score the go-ahead, maybe even winning touchdown. I was freaking out. And there's a look on the sidelines of the players on both sides and that look was, oh, it's here. And from the Seattle Seahawks, it's here. We're about to get a score. 
And from the other, from the Patriots sideline, it looked like, oh, it's here. They're about to score. But then quarterback Russell Wilson threw an interception in the end zone to kill a potential game-winning drive. If you're a Seahawks fan, it's an inexplicable call by the Seahawks coaching staff. Throwing instead of having your star running back, Marshawn Lynch, who's like a hammer, punch the ball in. If you're a Pats fan, I mean, it's the most amazing play ever by cornerback Malcolm Butler. All of a sudden, the crowd erupted and the other side exploded in enthusiasm. And I looked to my right and Coach Carroll was probably about 10 yards, 15 yards away. And his hands, that classic coach stance, his hands were on his knees. He's watching the play unfold. And then as the crowd erupts, his head drops. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. I was on the sideline when I seen it just like everybody else seen it. It felt like I was watching TV and I got mad and cut it off. <laughs> like, damn, I can't believe we just did that. That MVP award, the one that Chris Matthews was dreaming about, it ended up going to Tom. Matthews wasn't the only one on the field who was in a flow state. Tom threw four touchdowns and led the team back from a 10-point deficit in the fourth quarter of the game. After the break, we'll talk about the opposite of flow state, that nagging feeling that our lives are hurtling by, and what we can do about it. Coming up after this. Okay, welcome back. If time slowed down for Chris Matthews during the Super Bowl, the rest of his career now seems pretty fleeting. Matthews was released by Seattle the following season. Then he played with the Baltimore Ravens, but he wasn't getting any younger. At that point in time, uh, I was definitely an older player. NFL is a young man's game, and you know if you're not young, uh, it's, it's harder for you. The odds were against him. Most players don't stick around the NFL for that long. Here's Mike Reese again with the exact career stat. They say it's about 3.3 years in average length uh, for players. There are a lot of reasons for this. One of them being competition. Every year, there's an influx of hundreds of thousands of players that are available to come into the league. And so you have to fight off that number every year. So you might stave them off one year, two years, three years, but ultimately it catches up to everyone. And of course, there are injuries which can derail or end any career, which is what happened to Matthews ultimately in Baltimore. Played there till 2017, gets let go, doesn't get another opportunity in the NFL, which this is what we talk about, the average length of an NFL career or a football career. Like, all it takes is one injury, and you're on a different track. Matthews went back to the Canadian Football League, playing for the Calgary Stampeders, where he made it to the Grey Cup, which is like the Canadian version of the Super Bowl. Around the 35-yard line, it's a pickup of 38 for a guy who was almost the Super Bowl MVP a few years back. Well, certainly... And... 
he ended up winning. And that is it. The Stampeders are over the hump and back on top. 2018 Grey Cup champions. You know, which I guess that's the, the, the bright spot of the whole thing is that I still get a ring for a championship, uh, even though it's not with the NFL. I would just say a Grey Cup is different than a Super Bowl from a, a grand scale, right? But still awesome when you're part of a team. That's what you play for. That's Mike Reese again. But the NFL dream is over at that point. It had run its course. And I would say that's probably pretty standard for players in his type of situation. Today, Matthews is working in real estate and investing and hoping to start coaching high school or college football. Looking back on his NFL career, he says, it all went by really quickly. It moves extremely fast, (laughs) extremely fast. But the perception that time has sped by, it's not unique to Matthews or even the NFL. How can time slow down during a game, but then seem to fly by? To find out, we talked to Dr. Patty Costello. She studies perception of time, and she's the director for Walden University's psychology program. Costello says that there's basically two ways that people perceive time. There's in the moment, you know, did a second go by, did 10 seconds go by, so while you're experiencing it. Mostly, Costello says, people are pretty good at measuring time this way. More often than not, your sense of how long, say, 30 seconds is, is probably fairly accurate. But then there's a second way of measuring time. There's our retroactive perception, reflecting back on the passage of time. And that's where things kind of get a little weird. Retrospectively, time seems to have gone faster, especially if you're looking across a decade. Like, gosh, that last 10 years just flew by. So why is this? Costello says it may be about how much of your life you actually have under your belt. You know, for younger people, 10 years is is a much larger proportion of their life um, than someone who's older. And if you're like me and you're a parent, it really seems to just go so fast in hindsight, right? I can relate. I have a five-year-old. He just started kindergarten. I'm like, how did he get to kindergarten already? What the heck just happened? So while this is normal, there's nothing wrong with you if you feel this way. I mean, it can also feel a little scary. Like, can I slow this down? There are a couple things that you can do if you want to save your time. One is to try to think like a kid. Because as we get older, we tend to fall into familiar routines. We've seen it all before. For children, that's not usually the case. They're always experiencing something new. Um, And so that may be why, in retrospect for for kids, yeah, it seemed like that summer went on forever. That vacation we took just seemed more than a week because it's so new to them. So if you want your summer to go on forever, here's what you do. Get yourself outside of your normal routine and try something new. You know, go camping if you haven't gone camping. Visit someplace new so that it isn't just the same old routine. Um, So then you're forming new memories. You're exposing yourself to novelty. 
And then you might just have a better chance of paying attention to what's going on, which is the other thing you can do to slow down time. Pay attention. So I think you have to be really mindful. It's almost like breaking a habit, maybe in a way, if you do want to be very mindful. People that are in the moment and really trying to dial in to the present, um, which can be difficult um, to do, probably in a way are, are able to slow down um, the passage of time. Being really present, focusing, time slowing down. Does this sound familiar? If you think about the nature of flow state is that it is a complete syncopation on time, on purpose, in the unfolding, unpredictable present moment. Mike Gervais, the flow state expert and former Seahawks team psychologist you heard from earlier, says when you're flowing, you're not thinking about the past or the future. You're present. You're here now, which is not the normal state for most folks. And so when we look back on time, most adults spend so much of their time in their head, worrying about later or solving problems or critiquing themselves or others. And so our busy, anxious minds are not spending the same quality and quantity of time in the present moment. But for those who can get their busy, anxious minds to flow, then those folks have a better understanding and a better recall because they spent more time in highly attuned, high positive emotional states. Talking to Chris Matthews about his experience as an NFL wide receiver, you kind of get the sense that this is how he feels looking back. Man, I think most proud of is just my, is the fact that I made it. Uh, the fact that I was able to play at the highest level with future Hall of Famers, being able to be around them and say, yes, uh, I can't play out here as well, and I will <laughs> bust, bust your ass. And um, any regrets, to be honest with you, I don't have any regrets. And as for Tom Brady, you can't even talk to him about regret yet. I mean, he's still in it. He's present. And he's defying the 3.3-year average career span or whatever by, like, a lot. Look, there's been a lot of talk about Tom's relationship with time. We did a whole docu-series called Tom Versa Time. But actually, when we talk about Tom Brady defying time, we're not talking about time. More accurately, we're talking about Tom defying aging or career expectations. But as far as Tom versus the passage of time, Tom's exactly like you and me. Time is going by for him too. Because as you get older, you have more responsibilities. Tom's the same. I mean, he and I are the same age. He's got a family. He's got his own business. It's not football 24-7 with him like it was when he was younger. And that's why he's done everything he can to maximize the chance that he'll be able to get into flow state on the field. Look, he's got his own methods to do this. We, we know about TB12. We know about pliability. I mean, he does a lot of things that you and I couldn't really replicate or maybe even want to. But what we can do that I've seen Tom do is be mindful. Be mindful of the passage of time and how best to use it. So for the next minute or so, I want you, I want us to do the same thing. For the time that's immediately ahead of you, 
after you take out your earbuds or get out of the car or however you're listening to me, I want you to take a little time. Take time to breathe. 10 breaths in a row. And with all of your essence, all of your might, when you inhale, focus on just the inhale. When you notice the tension at the top, notice that too. And when you exhale, just be with the exhale. And then you pause at the bottom for just a moment and then rinse and repeat. Okay, now do it with me. Let's flow. On our next episode, we're going to play the odds. Man in the Arena is a religion of sports production in partnership with ESPN+. I'm Gotham Chopra, the host and creator. Our senior producers are Isaac Kestenbaum and Josephine Holtzman of Future Projects. Our story editor is Michael Garofalo. Executive producers are Amit Sunkran and Adam Schlossman. Associate producers Iggy Monda and Megan Coyle. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. This episode was mixed by Merritt Jacob and for ESPN Plus, Brian Lockhart, Senior Vice President, Original Content and ESPN Films, Lindsay Ravenio, Executive Producer, ESPN Plus Originals, Tori Champagne, Producer, ESPN Plus Originals, Julia Lowry Henderson, Senior Editorial Producer, Riley Bloom, Production Assistant. Lastly, special thanks to Jessica Popovac, Steve Nelson, Carly Peruccio, composer Michael Kramer, PRX, and Row Home Productions. 